This is Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I'm James Whittington, and I'm here to help you master your money. Whether you're a complete beginner or have been around the block once or twice, now is the time to start your journey and take control of your finances. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Personal Finance Podcast, Penny Radio. I'm here to help you master your money. Are you not an expert on finance? Maybe you get put off by all the jargon and admin. Did you hate maths at school? Then this is the show for you. I break down the complex world of finance so you can understand it, and more importantly, do what you need to do to achieve financial health, now and in your future. And the best thing is, it's a podcast, you get to listen to me everywhere you go. Lucky you! Remember, you can always get in touch with me via the contact page at pennyradio.co.uk and you'll find my email there as well, which is james at pennyradio.co.uk. Let me know if you've got any questions. On today's episode, I'm going to be carrying on with the technical theme because I think we're on a roll at the moment after covering interest and inflation. Today, we'll be looking at tax. Now, I know that sounds scary, but don't worry because I'll be doing the usual thing and putting all of the examples into an Excel workbook and putting them on the website in the show notes. So you'll be able to check these out after the episode if there's anything you're not quite sure about. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Tax can be incredibly complicated, and there is so much to discuss on it that there could be a whole podcast just dedicated to tax alone. Now, granted, most of it will be irrelevant to most people. So today, I'm just going to focus on the basics, and we're going to look at what is tax and why do we have it? What are the main taxes that we face? And what are their impacts on our financial wealth? And that's the most important thing to us, isn't it, really? Now, I'm mostly going to be focusing on people that are employed and pay tax under the pay-as-you-earn system, which is where your company automatically calculates how much tax you owe and pays it to HMRC, or Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, which is basically the tax department for the UK. It's also going to have a UK focus, predominantly an English and Welsh focus, Now, I know a lot of you out there are actually from different countries, so just bear with me through this one, because the principles will still apply to you as well, just with whatever taxes that you have in your own country and whatever tax rates as well. I know also a number of you will either not currently be working or at some point in your life become self-employed, and in that case, you'll face different taxation requirements. But for simplicity's sake, I'm not going to be delving into that today, but it could always be an interesting topic to cover once we've built up our financial framework. Now, you've probably heard the line about how there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, this is true, and you and your estate can even end up paying taxes once you die as well. So what are taxes, and why do they play such a big part in our life, and even our death? Well, they are a charge from the government on money you receive, or in specific goods or services that you use and buy. The government uses this money it takes from you for all of the activities that it does and services it provides for the country. You may have noticed that you've started getting summaries from HMRC that breaks down what the tax you have paid that tax year has been spent on. And we may think we pay a lot of tax, but occasionally we don't pay enough to cover the total spending and the government has to borrow more money from elsewhere. I just think exactly what we have to cover with our taxes. Our taxes pays for defence and security, the whole welfare system, which is basically a safety net for if we fall on hard times, The NHS, like it or loathe it, you can always get good healthcare when you need it most. Free education, state pensions, the emergency services that protect and look after us, and key infrastructure so we can actually get around and get to our jobs. 
Now I'm sure there's some of you out there that think that you put more in than you get out and therefore that you've been hard done by and that there are others that get more out than they put in and they're scrounging off the system. And it's correct that some people do put more in than they get out but that's the way that a welfare system works. That's the way that a government works as well. Obviously the people that earn the most are always going to be paying the most money. That's just the way it works. And would you rather not have any government at all? Would you rather not have any welfare system or safety net if you yourself fell on hard times or your family? In reality, some people will always be better off than others and the government needs to make sure that everyone gets access to a minimum standard of living. And arguably the welfare system doesn't even provide that minimum standard of living. It's not enough for a lot of people. And if you don't like that there's a welfare system and a safety net, well in my view I think you're pretty selfish and you're actually better off moving to a tax haven with other selfish people. But anyway, I'm just ranting here. So if you're still with me and you haven't moved to a tax haven yet, let's just get back on track. It's worth taking a moment just to mention that tax actually has its very own year for some reason. Now don't ask me why, it just does. And that year doesn't really make much logical sense because it runs from the 6th of April one year to the 5th of April the next year. So we're currently in the 2019-2020 tax year, which runs from the 6th of April 2019 to the 5th of April in 2020. Once we get to the 6th of April 2020, we're going to be in the next tax year, which will be the 2020-2021 tax year. Now it's worth noting this because all of the money that we earn from wages and income from investments and dividends etc. would all be added up for the amount that we receive during that tax year and then our tax is calculated on that. But we'll come back to that later in the episode. Now we're going to look at what the main types of tax that people face are. So what taxes might you face? Well I'm going to divide these up into several categories. So first off we're going to look at tax on goods and services that we buy and use. Secondly, we have tax on income that we earn. Thirdly, which is kind of related, we have tax on our investment and savings income. And lastly, there are taxes on our wealth when we die. So first up, like I said, we're going to be looking at taxes on goods and services. Now I'm sneaking council tax in here because although you don't really have a choice but to pay it, you are effectively paying a tax because you're automatically benefiting from the services your council provides by living in the area. These services include keeping the streetlights on, collecting your rubbish and clearing the streets. Also includes looking after elderly people and keeping libraries open. Now you'll also pay tax when you buy certain goods and services as well. This tax is known as value added tax or VAT or even VAT. In fact this is added to almost everything you buy, although some key things have no VAT attached, such as kids clothes and a lot of food that you buy at the supermarket such as fruit and veg. And then on top of that, there's extra tax on certain products known as duty, and you'll pay this on alcohol, cigarettes and petrol. This is partly to pay for the negative effects of these products in society, like to pay for the extra NHS staff that you need to combat the effects of alcohol and cigarettes, also measures to counteract pollution and stuff. But it's also partly because the demand for them is so high that even if the price goes up, you'll still likely buy them. This is what is known as inelastic demand, so if you're still going to buy them, the government knows it can make more money by putting more tax on them. And because you're already paying VAT on these products as well as the duty, you're paying a lot of tax in total. Other things you pay specific taxes on are things like gambling where there's a duty as well. You also pay tax on the premium when you take out insurance. And you'll pay air passenger duty when you fly. The most important set of taxes, and probably the most that you'll actually pay in pound terms, are the taxes associated with the income that you earn. In other words, when you get paid a salary, the tax that gets taken out before the money reaches your bank account. 
For employed people, like we said earlier, this is calculated and taken out by a system called PAYE, or pay as you earn. This makes things a lot more simple for you as it means you won't need to submit an annual tax return unless you have income from other sources as well. It's just all done for you automatically. Whereas if you're self-employed, you have to work it all out for yourself and then just pay a couple of big lump sums a year. Now how much tax you pay depends on how much you earn. Everybody starts off with a personal allowance, which is a certain amount that you can earn without paying any tax in one tax year. Now remember, the tax year runs from the 6th of April to the 5th of April the next year. Now under the PAYE system, it usually assumes that you earn the same amount each month, and so we'll split this tax-free amount over the 12 months, meaning your pay after tax should stay stable throughout the year. That's instead of using it all up at the beginning of the tax year, letting you pay no tax at the beginning, and then finding that you have to pay loads of tax at the end of the year, and finding your monthly take-home is suddenly halved. Now for the 2019-2020 tax year, the personal allowance is £12,500, and it's personal, so that's per person. The government has also said that this will stay the same for the 2020-2021 tax year as well. But who knows, because it can always change. And everyone gets this personal allowance, regardless of your working status, so even newborn babies. Now this personal allowance is often adjusted for individuals by HMRC. For example, if you owe or are owed tax by HMRC, they can adjust your personal allowance. You either get your money back with a higher allowance, or pay a bit more with a lower allowance to pay off your debt. HMRC also like to estimate if you will carry out any tax-adjusting activities. So say in the past you've put money into a personal pension, or you've given money to charity and claimed back some of the tax after gift aid, then what you'll find is that they'll often adjust your personal allowance going forwards to reflect what you've done in the past. So that may lead you to having to reclaim or pay more tax at the end of the tax year. Once HMRC has calculated your personal allowance, it will issue you and your employer a code that says how much you have. This is what is known as your tax code, and it is just your personal allowance divided by 10 with a letter attached. So most people who get the full personal allowance of £12,500 will have a tax code of 1250 with an L after it. Now you can always give HMRC a call if you think it's wrong, and then they'll adjust it if it is, and reissue your tax code to you and your employer. Now if you're one of those lucky enough to earn over £100,000 in a tax year, you will actually start to lose your personal allowance. So for every £2 extra that you earn over £100,000, you will lose £1 of your personal allowance. So if you earned £125,000 or more in a tax year, you won't be given any personal allowance. You'll have no tax-free amount. Now this doesn't affect most people though, so most of us don't have to worry about it too much at the moment. Like I say, it's a nice problem to have. Anything you earn over your personal allowance will be taxed at income rates. So any money you earn between your personal allowance and the next £37,500 of income will be taxed at 20%, which is known as the basic rate. For most people, this means that whatever you earn between £12,500 and £50,000 is taxed at 20%. Then any money you earn between £50,000 and £150,000 will be taxed at what's called the higher rate, at 40%. You still only pay 20% of the income between 125 and 50k, and if you are lucky enough to earn over 150k, any income over that 150k mark will be taxed at 45%, which is known as the additional rate. Now, for you listeners out there based in Scotland, it is slightly more complicated for you because there are different tax brackets. But I'll be putting links in the show notes to the current tax brackets so you can all see for yourselves what tax bracket you should be in. 
Now the income that you're taxed on includes all earned income, so that includes bonuses, commission and overtime. So say for example you earn £45,000 a year base salary and you got a £5,000 bonus, then you earned another £5,000 through doing some overtime. Your total income for the tax year will be £55,000, so you'll be in the higher rate tax bracket. Let's assume that you get the full £12,500 personal allowance. So you'll pay basic rate tax on the amount between £12,500 and £50,000 at 20%, which will be £7,500, because it's 20% of £37,500. You'll then pay 40% on the £5,000 you earn above £50,000. 40% of that £5,000 is £2,000. So your total tax paid for the year will be £9,500, the £7,500 plus the £2,000. So your remaining income will be £45,500. Now it's never as simple as this because there are loads of different adjustments that can be made. For example, you get tax relief when you contribute to a pension. And there are different ways of doing this, so the tax relief comes in different forms, but we'll talk about that in a future series. Generally though, if you have an option and your company offers it, go for the salary sacrifice. That way you'll basically get the same take-home income, but you'll actually save money on national insurance as well, which we're going to be getting onto shortly, and you won't have to reclaim any tax yourself. Your tax bill will also be reduced if you make charitable contributions. Again, the tax relief is given in different ways depending on how you give to charity. It can also be reduced by making certain very risky investments, but we're not going to be talking about that on today's episode. Now going back, the tax brackets have changed in most years, and the personal allowance has gone up a lot in recent years. Future increases are likely to be lower, and more in line with inflation. There are also a couple of other things worth considering at this point, one good and one bad. The bad one is that if you receive child benefit, and you or your partner's income is over £50,000, then you're going to have to pay a tax charge, and you could have to repay all of your child benefit if you earn over £60,000. This is called the High Income Child Benefit Tax Charge, and I'll provide a link to HMRC's calculator to see if you owe anything. But if you do, you have to fill out a self-assessment form each year. The good point is that if you are married or in a civil partnership, and one of you is a basic rate taxpayer, in other words you're paying income at 20% as your highest level of tax, and the other one of you has total earnings that are within their personal allowance, usually this means earning less than £12,500, then the person who's not using all of their personal allowance up can transfer 10% of their tax-free allowance over to their partner. So this will usually be a maximum of £1,250. This will help their partner save tax of 20% on up to £1,250, which means you can save £250 a year in tax. This is called the marriage allowance and is well worth applying for if you could benefit from it. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes to the HMRC's calculator and where you can find out more information on this. Now, income tax isn't the only tax that you pay on the money that you earn, because you've also got to pay national insurance on your earnings over a certain amount. National insurance isn't really an insurance, it's more of a tax, and it pays for your state pension, some unemployment benefits, and the NHS, and you have to pay it until you reach a state pension age. Now, the state pension age is currently 65, but it's going up to 66 in October. Now, national insurance is worked out slightly differently to income tax because it's calculated based on your payment period, which is usually monthly if you're employed. And so it's based on the amount that you earn during that period. So you don't really have an annual personal allowance like you do with income tax. Income tax is definitely more yearly focused. 
Now, if you're at a fixed annual salary, then it won't really make a difference as you'll likely see the same amount of national insurance deducted each month. If your earnings fluctuate throughout the year though, maybe because you work based on commissions, then the calculation will differ each month. Also, national insurance is slightly different to income tax because you do actually see a direct benefit from it. As you pay national insurance, you'll generate qualifying years, or basically credits, towards your state pension. And you now need to earn 35 years worth of qualifying years to get the full state pension, and a minimum of 10 years to get anything. Each extra year you earn will give you an extra 1 35th of your state pension. You can check how many qualifying years you have and any gaps in your national insurance record at the link that I'm going to put in the show notes. But don't worry if you don't work because you can also earn credits in a number of different ways. For example, if you claim child benefit and your child is under 12, you'll also get qualifying years. And you carry on accruing them as well if you're on some unemployment and sickness benefits. Now, if you earn under £6,136 a year, or £511 a month, or £118 a week, you won't pay any national insurance. If you earn between £6,136 and £8,632 a year, or between £511 and £719 a month, or between £118 and £166 a week, you not pay any national insurance, but you'll actually still earn national insurance qualifying years. If you earn between £8,632 and £50,000 a year, that's £719 and £4,166 a month, or £166 and £960 a week, you'll pay 12% of your earnings within this range, before income tax, as national insurance. If you earn above this amount, you'll pay 2% on the earnings above £50,000 a year. So if we go back to our example of earning £55,000 in a year, but for the sake of simplicity we'll say that the earnings are spread evenly throughout the year, you'd pay 12% on your earnings between £8,632 and £50,000, which works out at £4,964 a year, and 2% on the £5,000 over £50,000, which is £100. So you'll pay £5,064 in national insurance in total. Add this to your £9,500 of income tax, and you're going to be paying £14,564 in tax and national insurance a year. That means your take-home salary, before any student loans or any pensions, is going to be £40,436 a year. Now, if you want to work this out for yourself, there are some useful salary calculators out there, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to one of them so that you'll be able to calculate it for yourself. This will help give you a very close estimate of how much tax and national insurance you're going to be paying on your earnings given your salary. And most importantly, it will tell you how much money you can expect to take home after the tax, national insurance, any student loans and any pensions that you have. So that just about covers the basics for the tax that you're going to be paying on the money that you earn as an income. Normally, tax on goods and services, council tax, income tax and national insurance will be the only taxes that a lot of people pay in their lives. However, if you're interested in achieving financial health, then this will inevitably mean that you will need to save and invest some of your money. And if you aren't careful, or have a significant amount of capital, you could end up facing taxes on any income or profits known as investment returns that you make on your investments. It's worth knowing what these are, so you can see how potentially costly they are on your investment returns, and how if you structure your investments correctly, you can reduce or completely remove this cost. Doing this can really help you grow your wealth a lot quicker and achieve a greater level of financial health and security in your future. That's because taxes won't be reducing the effect that compounding can have on the money that you earn from your investments. 
We'll be looking at how to structure savings and investments in a future series as we build up our financial framework. For now, we'll just look at the taxes. The taxes you could end up paying on your investments are linked to the tax bracket that you're in and the type of investment that you have. We're going to be discussing the different types of investment in future episodes in a lot more detail. So any rental income that you earn from buy-to-let property is added to your earnings and taxed based on what tax bracket you fall into at the same rates that your earnings are taxed at. You just don't pay national insurance on it. And in fact, you don't pay national insurance on any of your investment income. There are specific deductions that you can make from this income to reduce your tax. However, the government is withdrawing these all the time. So people are paying more and more tax on their buy-to-let income these days, which makes buy-to-let a lot less attractive if you're just starting out saving and investing. So we'll be leaving this for a future series, but we will definitely be coming back to it at some point. Next up is interest income. Interest income mostly comes from interest on cash and savings and other bank accounts, but you might also earn interest by investing in government and corporate bonds. Although you'll usually be investing in bonds using a fund in your pension or in a different type of investment account, you're very unlikely to be holding them directly. But anyway, interest income is added on top of whatever earnings you've made from your job and from any buy-to-let property that you have, and it's taxed at the same rates, so 0%, 20%, 40%, and 45%, depending on which tax bracket that you fall into. You do get some tax-free allowances, though. Once you've added up your other income and your interest income, if any of the interest income falls into a tax-free personal allowance, it is tax-free. Also, if you add up your other income and it falls below £17,500 for the year, any interest that falls between your other income and the £17,500 mark is actually tax-free. This means that you could benefit from up to £5,000 of tax-free interest. This £5,000 allowance is known as a starting rate ban for savings. But remember, you have to take into account your other income first. Let's have a look at a few examples so you can see how this actually works in practice. Imagine that your other income for the year is £10,000, so that's probably the money that you've earned from your job, and then you earn £2,500 of interest. All of your other income falls within your £12,500 personal allowance, so it's tax-free. Also, so does your £2,500 of interest, so that is also tax-free, because altogether you have got £12,500 of income and interest, and you have a £12,500 personal allowance that's tax-free, so you won't be paying any tax. Now let's imagine that you've just got a pay rise, and so your other income goes up to £15,000 for the year, and you still earn £2,500 interest, giving you a total of £17,500 for the year. Your other income uses up all of your £12,500 personal allowance, and £2,500 of it will fall into the basic rate tax bracket, and you get a 20% tax charge on that £2,500, so you'll have to pay £500 tax on that. Now the starting rate ban for savings goes up to £17,500 when combined with your other income. So when added to your £15,000 of other income, your £2,500 of interest income equals £17,500. So therefore, all of that £2,500 of interest falls within this tax-free bracket and so you will not get charged any tax on it. So your total tax will just be the £500 that you've had to pay on your earnings. If instead you had earned £3,000 of interest, then £2,500 of it would have fallen into this tax-free bracket and £500 outside of it. If on the other hand your pay rise had taken you up to earning £17,500 for the year, then the starting rate ban for savings cannot be used at all, because when you add your interest on top, it would all fall outside the starting rate ban, which ends at £17,500. 
so you would end up paying tax with some of that interest. Because you'll be a basic rate taxpayer, you'd be paying 20% tax. Now to work this out, there's something else that you need to be aware of. Because once you add up all of your income and your interest income and any dividends that you earn, if you fall within the basic tax bracket, in other words, between £12,500 and £50,000, then you actually get a £1,000 personal savings allowance, which lets you earn up to £1,000 of interest tax-free. Any tax that you earn over this £1,000 personal savings allowance is taxed at 20%. And you can actually add this personal savings allowance to your starting rate for savings band as well. So let's look at what this means for you using an example. Let's say that you earn wages of £15,000 for the year. And you also get £5,000 in interest income. That gives you £20,000 in total. Now because this £20,000 falls between £12,500 and £50,000, you're going to be a basic rate taxpayer. But how much tax will you actually pay? Well, we saw before that on £15,000 of wages, your £12,500 of tax-free personal allowance is used up, leaving £2,500 that's going to be taxed. That will be taxed at 20%, meaning that you're going to be paying £500 on those wages that fall above the £12,500 tax-free personal allowance that you get. Now, because the starting rate band for savings goes up to £17,500, You've actually got £2,500 left of it once you take off your £15,000 wages. So £2,500 of your £5,000 of interest income is going to be tax-free. So take off that £2,500 from your £5,000. That leaves you with £2,500 left that we have to work out the tax for. Now we already know that you're a basic rate taxpayer. So that means that you're going to qualify for the personal savings allowance of £1,000. So that means £1,000 of that £2,500 interest left is also going to be tax-free. So take that £1,000 off, that leaves you with £1,500 of interest that we have to work out the tax for. Now this £1,500 all falls into the basic rate band, so that's going to be taxed at 20%, meaning that you'll have to pay £300 tax on that, because 20% of £1,500 is £300. So if you add your £300, onto your £500 tax that you're paying on your wages, then your total tax for the year is going to be £800. You'll obviously have to pay some national insurance on your wages as well, but overall on £20,000 of total income, you're going to be paying very little in tax for that year. But because you'll have to pay tax on interest income, this doesn't fall under the PAYE system, so it's not calculated automatically, meaning that you'll actually have to fill out a self-assessment return for the year submit that to HMRC and then pay your tax and you have to do that by the 31st of January in the year after the tax year finishes. So that means for this tax year, the 2019-2020 tax year, you'd have to pay any tax for this tax year by the 31st of January 2021. Now let's say that if when you add up all of your income you're actually a higher rate taxpayer. So once you've added up your wages, dividend income and your interest income, it falls somewhere between £50,000 and £150,000. So you're going to be paying 40% on anything that's over £50,000. If you're a higher rate payer, you still get a personal savings allowance for your interest income, but it's actually reduced down from £1,000 to £500. So let's see what that means in practice. Let's say that once you add up your salary, any buy-to-let income, 
and any dividend income, you get £55,000 for the tax year. But you also earn £2,500 of interest. This means that your total income is going to be £57,500 for the tax year. And that puts you into the 40% higher rate bracket. So your personal allowance will give you £12,500 tax-free on your earnings. But you're not going to be benefiting from the starting rate ban for savings because you earn too much. Your total earnings before the interest income is going to be over £17,500. So you'll pay 20% on your other income that falls between £12,500 and £50,000. So that'd be £7,500 tax. You'll also pay 40% on the amount between £50,000 and £55,000. That's going to be 40% on £5,000, which is going to cost you £2,000. Now for your interest income, the first £500 is going to fall into your personal savings allowance. It's going to get taxed at 0%. So take this £500 off the £2,500 of interest that you've earned for the year. That leaves you with £2,000 of interest remaining that you have to calculate a tax for. Now this all falls into the higher rate tax bracket, so it'll all get taxed at 40%. So that works out to be about £800. Add this to the rest of the tax, £7,500 from the 20% bracket, and £2,000 from the 40% bracket, and you're going to be paying £10,300 in total tax. Now it does get quite complicated if your interest income takes you from one tax bracket into another. Remember that you only get the personal savings allowance for the tax bracket that you fall into once you've added up your interest income and all your other income as well. So for example, if you have £49,000 doing your job and £2,000 from interest, this is how it would work. £49,000 plus £2,000 is £51,000 in total. And this is above the £50,000 mark, so you're going to fall into the higher tax bracket. So you'll pay 40% as your highest rate. The tax on your £49,000 of wages is worked out like this. The first £12,500 falls into your personal allowance, so it's tax-free. You don't benefit from the starting rate ban for savings, as you earn too much. Your remaining earnings of £49,000 minus £12,500 or £36,500 will all get taxed at 20% because they fall into the basic rate tax bracket. So the tax on that works out to be £7,300. So for your interest income, because your total income is £51,000 and you fall into the 40% higher tax bracket, you only get a £500 personal savings allowance. So the first £500 of your £2,000 interest is taxed at 0%, leaving you with £1,500 of interest that will get taxed. So the top of the basic rate tax bracket is £50,000. So when we take off the £49,000 of earnings and the £500 of interest in your personal savings allowance, we are left with £500 of your basic rate tax bracket left. This £500 is taxed at 20%, which is basically just £100 of tax. So for your £2,000 of interest, we've worked out the £500 personal savings allowance and the £500 basic rate band, so take those off, so that leaves you with £1,000 of interest left. That £1,000 falls above the £50,000 mark, so it falls into the 40% higher tax bracket. You have no more allowances left for this income, so it will all get taxed at 40%. So 40% of £1,000 is £400. So in this example, from your £2,000 of interest, the first £500 is taxed at 0%, next £500 at 20%, and the last £1,000 at 40%.
meaning that you'll pay £500 in total tax on your interest, plus the £7,300 tax on your other income, with £7,800 in total. If you earn in total over £150,000 and fall into the 45% additional rate tax bracket, you don't actually get a personal savings allowance at all, and all of your interest income that falls into this tax bracket will get taxed at 45%. Now that's only the first bit of investment income. If you own shares, these may pay dividends. Dividends are the share equivalent of interest income. However, because a company pays them out after it has paid its own corporate tax, they've already had some tax paid on them. This means that the tax you pay on dividends will be at a lower rate than interest income. Now you can't use your starting rate band for savings or the personal savings allowance to cover your dividend income, but you do get a separate £2,000 dividend allowance and that's for everyone, whatever tax bracket they fall into. So that means the first £2,000 of dividends you receive each year will be taxed at 0%. For most people, that would be enough to mean that you don't pay any tax on any dividends that you receive, because you need more than £40,000 worth of shares paying 5% dividends to start worrying about tax. Dividends falling within your £12,500 personal allowance are also taxed at 0%. Any dividends falling outside the personal allowance or dividend allowance are going to get taxed based on what tax bracket you fall into when you add your dividend income to your interest income and your wages. Now, whilst we need to add dividend income to your other income and interest income to see what tax bracket you fall into when we work out what personal savings allowance you get for your interest income, you actually calculate your tax on your interest income before your dividend income. So it's worth bearing that in mind, because if you're close to one of the tax brackets and you earn both interest income and dividend income, because the interest income is taken first, that may not fall into a higher bracket, and it may be the dividend income that falls into the higher bracket. And because dividends are taxed at a lower rate, it may mean that you pay lower tax overall. So what rate do we pay on our dividends that are taxed then? Well, any dividends that fall into the basic rate tax bracket after the dividend allowance are taxed at 7.5%. Compare that to 20% that you pay on your interest income. And if you fall into the higher tax bracket, Dividend income outside of your allowance is taxed at 32.5% compared to 40% on your interest income. And any dividend income outside your allowances that falls into the additional rate tax bracket gets taxed at 38.1% compared to 45% on your interest income. Like with interest income, your dividend income can fall across two tax brackets, so some may get taxed in one tax bracket and some may get taxed in another tax bracket. Let's have a look at an example to see how this actually works in practice. And remember again that dividend income is taxed after interest income. Meet Martha. Martha's got a decent investment portfolio and receives interest income and dividend income on top of her salary. However, her portfolio is held outside of tax efficient accounts. So all of the income that she earns from her investments is going to get added to her salary and could get taxed. So let's take a look at what this can mean for Martha. Martha is a marketing manager for a cat food company and she earns £45,000 a year as a salary. She also gets £2,000 a year in interest income from her savings account and some bonds that she holds. On top of this, she holds some shares in her company and some other companies that she likes as well. And altogether, these pay her a dividend income of £5,000 a year. Adding up all of her income gives her a total of £52,000 for the year. This puts her into the higher tax bracket because it's over the £50,000 level. So we take a look at her salary first. 
The first £12,500 falls into her personal allowance, so it's taxed at 0% or tax-free. She earns too much to benefit from the starting rate ban for savings and her interest. The rest of her salary is under £50,000, so she falls into the basic rate tax bracket for this. So if we take off her personal allowance, that leaves £45,000 minus £12,500, or £32,500, all falling into the basic rate tax bracket and getting taxed at 20%. This means that she's going to have to pay £6,500 tax on her salary. Her interest income, plus her earnings of £45,000 plus £2,000 or £47,000, so her interest is still within the basic rate bracket, but because her total income falls into the higher rate bracket, she only benefits from the £500 personal savings allowance. So the first £500 of her £2,000 interest is taxed at 0%. So take this off the £2,000, that leaves you with £1,500 of interest left. That £1,500 all falls into the basic rate bracket, so it's taxed at 20%. So that means she's going to have to pay tax of £300 on it. Now we take a look at her dividend income. This is £5,000 in total. So when we add it to £47,000 of earnings and interest income, we can see that the first £3,000 falls under the £50,000 mark. So that first £3,000 falls into the basic rate tax bracket. The last £2,000 pushes her over the £50,000 mark and so falls into the higher rate tax bracket. Now remember that the first £2,000 of her dividends benefits from the dividend allowance, regardless of her tax bracket. So the first £2,000 of her dividend income gets taxed at 0%. So like we said, the first £3,000 of her dividends is all within the basic rate tax bracket but the first 2,000 of that doesn't get any tax. So take off the 2,000 from the 3,000 within the basic rate tax bracket. So that means a thousand pound of her dividend income is gonna fall within the basic rate tax bracket and get taxed at the basic rate level for dividends, which is 7.5%. So 7.5% of a thousand pounds is 75 pounds of tax that she pays on that. And as we said earlier, 2,000 pound of her dividend income falls into the higher rate tax bracket. So that's going to get taxed at the higher rate tax level for dividends, which, like we said earlier, was 32.5%. So 32.5% of £2,000 is £650 of tax that she's going to pay on that. So in total, she pays £6,500 tax on her salary, £300 tax on her interest, and £725 on her dividends. So add it all together, she's going to be paying £7,525 in total. And as we all know by now, she will also have to pay national insurance on her salary as well, but not on her interest or dividend income. Now there is another type of tax that you pay on your investments as well, and that's called capital gains tax. This is paid on any profit you make when you sell an investment once you've deducted all of your buying and selling costs. And remember, it's only once you sell it. If you don't sell your investment, you haven't made a real profit yet, so you don't get taxed. Now, given that this is tax, there are, of course, lots of complex rules around capital gains tax, but for most people, it's only going to apply to shares that you've bought, or maybe if you've bought other properties outside of your main residence. But the way it works in the most simple terms is if you bought a share for, say, £100 and sold it for £150, you would have made £50 profit, so you may have to pay tax on this £50 profit. Now, on top of all the other personal allowances you get, you actually get a separate capital gains tax allowance, which is currently £12,000 a year. 
it's called the capital gains exempt amount. So what you do is you add up all of your real, which are also called realised gains for the year, take off the cost of buying and selling your investments, take off any losses that you've made, then take off the £12,000 allowance, and what you're left with is your taxable gain. So you take this taxable gain and you add it to all of your other income for the year, including interest and dividend income. It's the last thing that you add and it won't affect the tax that you pay on interest, dividends or your personal savings allowance. All it does is just let you know which tax bracket this gain falls into. And if it falls into the basic rate tax bracket, it's taxed at 10%, unless it's a residential property that's not your main residence, in which case it's taxed at 18%. Any of the gain that falls into the higher and additional tax brackets gets taxed at 20%, or for a residential property that's not your main residence, 28%. And remember, if you're selling a residential property, it's likely going to be for a large gain, so you may have quite a big tax bill to pay. So you'll need to factor this in from any of the money that you get from the sale. For example, imagine you've just sold a buy-to-let property for a profit of £50,000 after all the costs. You have £40,000 of other income, so you take off the £12,000 capital gains tax exemption and you're left with a £38,000 gain that is taxable. Now because you've got £40,000 of other income, you've got £10,000 left of your basic rate tax ban. So the first £10,000 of this £38,000 gain falls into your basic rate tax bracket, and so it's going to get taxed at 18%. So 18% of £10,000 is £1,800. The rest of your gain, £28,000, which you've taken off the £10,000, all falls into the higher tax bracket, and so it gets charged at 28%, which is £7,840. So your tax on your £50,000 gain will be £9,640, meaning your actual profit is £40,360 before inflation is taken into account. And we all know from the last couple of episodes that inflation could actually mean that you've made a loss in real terms yet you still have to pay the tax on the gain. Now say in a year you add up all of your capital gains and your capital losses, and in total you've actually made a loss for the year, you can roll this loss over to future years. So if you roll it over to a future year, it means you can use it against any future capital gains you have. That effectively gives you a bigger capital gains tax exemption amount. So that means that you'll have to earn a lot more capital gains before you have to start paying capital gains tax. It's also worth noting that you don't pay capital gains tax on government or corporate bonds. Now there are a few general rules when it comes to interest income, dividend income and capital gains tax. The first one is that every person has their own allowances. If you hold assets jointly with someone else, for example a partner, then unless you specify what proportions you hold it in, it is automatically assumed that you hold it evenly. So say you own the property with a partner, HMRC assumes that you will hold it 50-50. Therefore, any income or gains that come from it are split 50-52. So in that case, your half of the gains and the income benefits from your own allowance, and it will also be taxed at your own rates. Your partner gets taxed according to their rates, so you may pay different tax rates even though you make the same investment income or gains. Another main point to remember is that if you hold your investments outside of a tax-efficient account, then you may be liable to pay tax on them. If you hold them within a tax-efficient environment, like an ISA or a pension, then you won't have to pay tax on them, and the income and gains won't count towards your allowances and tax brackets. 
It also means that you don't have to report these gains to HMRC either. Whereas if you hold your investments outside of a tax efficient environment and you get income or gains, you will have to tell HMRC and report it. This usually means that you have to fill out a tax return and file it with HMRC every year. This is because there is no PAYE system like with your salary. Another general point to remember is that by adjusting your pension and charitable contributions, it can actually adjust your tax brackets and therefore the amount of tax that you have to pay. So if you're close to different tax bracket levels, some basic tax planning can really benefit you. And we're going to be covering this in a lot more detail in a future series. But overall, you can see how holding investments outside of tax efficient accounts can be quite costly. It can seriously reduce your earnings and may mean that you miss out on some state benefits as well. This may mean that the risk that you are taking by investing in something is not really worth it once you take into account all of that. Now don't worry if you don't really know what tax efficient accounts are because we're definitely going to be looking at those in future episodes. The way I see it is that any tax that you have to pay on your investment income and gains is a cost, just like a charge or a fee. So the less you pay, the more you'll benefit from compounding over the long term. And this will significantly improve your financial health. Remember how strong compounding can be. If you're compounding a smaller amount, maybe up to 45% smaller, because you have paid more tax than you have to, it will take you a lot longer to reach a financially healthy position. Right, I've saved the most depressing type of tax until last, and it's doubly depressing as it involves you dying, which is hopefully a long way off. So the last tax, and literally the last tax that people face, is inheritance tax. This is a really complex topic in itself, but put simply, when you die, all your assets are added together, all your debts and liabilities are taken off, and what is left is called your estate. That estate is then assessed for tax purposes. Tax depends on who you leave your remaining estate to. Any of the estate that passes to a surviving spouse or civil partner will be passed over tax-free. And I know, that's pretty out of order, isn't it? Unfortunately, it has to be official, so you have to be married or in a civil partnership. Common law partnerships don't count. It's pretty backward if you ask me, especially considering these days, people often spend decades with the same person, but they're not married or in a civil partnership. But anyway, that's the law as it stands. On top of this, everybody gets a £325,000 allowance, which is called the nil rate band. There is also a main residence exemption of £150,000, which is going up to £175,000 in the new tax year. So once you've added it all up, you can pass on this much value to other people that aren't your surviving spouse or civil partner. If you pass on more than this, then whatever over these allowances gets charged a massive 40% tax. Now you can reduce this down to 36% if you leave at least 10% of your estate to charity. But as you can see, if you don't plan things properly before you die, the people that you want to receive your estate can end up losing almost half of it in tax. Now if you don't use up that £325,000 nil rate band or the £150,000 main residence band when you die, and you have a civil partner or a spouse, they actually inherit whatever percentage of those bands that you have left, so they can inherit some of your allowances. Which means that when they die, they pass on more of their estate tax-free. Now you can reduce the amount that the people that you leave the money to has to pay tax on by making gifts in your lifetime. However, depending on who or what you make gifts to, 
there could be an inheritance tax charge before you even die. When I say what, I mean if you leave your money to a trust, that can incur an inheritance tax during your lifetime. Also, if you die within seven years of making a gift, then there may still be an inheritance tax charge on that gift that you've made. So planning for this tax can be really complicated and the primary goal of making sure you're financially healthy during your lifetime shouldn't be forgotten. Because there's no point in struggling to get by by giving all your money away just to try and avoid some tax that you only face after you die. But anyway, for most of my listeners out there, I think this tax is something you won't have to worry about until way, way, way into your future. So you can put it out of your mind for now. So there you have it, the basics about tax. Now I know it's been quite a long, dull and complicated episode, but it's probably about as short, interesting and uncomplicated as I can make it. Just remember that generally you don't need to worry too much about tax if you invest within a tax-free environment, which we're going to be getting onto in later episodes. There's not much you can do about tax on your wages, so unless you're self-employed or taking money out of a pension, there's not too much to worry about here either. Added to which, you can't avoid paying tax on the goods and services that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. And then the last tax we talked about, inheritance tax, isn't something you really have to worry about in this lifetime anyway. So again, overall, there's not really much that you have to worry about when it comes to tax. Now, as you've probably gathered by now, I personally believe in the welfare system very strongly. And I think that if you are paying tax on your salary and everyday goods and services, then you don't really have to feel too bad about using legitimate tax-efficient accounts like ISAs and pensions, especially because the government have purposefully introduced them to allow you to stably invest a certain amount tax-free, and at the end of the day, they'll potentially get a load of your money in tax when you die anyway. So I think it's definitely worth using tax-efficient accounts to make sure that you're financially healthy in the future, and meaning that you're actually less likely to need to use the welfare state anyway. So really, it's beneficial for everyone, Anyway, on that tree note, I think I'll leave it there for this week. We've gone through quite a lot today, so you might want to listen back again if there's anything that you weren't quite sure about. And remember that I'm going to be putting the examples in an Excel workbook in the show notes on the website at pennyradio.co.uk. I'm also going to include a few useful links that you might find helpful too, things like a salary calculator and other calculators too. And you can use this workbook and the calculators to work out your own personal tax for your own personal financial situation. And in fact, for this week, I'm encouraging you to actually go away and do that. I recommend that you have a look at your tax code and see what your own personal allowance is. Then take a look at what tax bracket you fall into. And using the salary calculator, how much tax and national insurance you should be paying this year. Are you impacted by the child benefit high income tax charge? Could you benefit from the marriage allowance? Do you hold any savings and investments outside of ISAs or pensions? What tax might you have to pay on this? I also recommend that you take a look at your national insurance record. Have you got any gaps? Now, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, just get in touch with me via the contact page at pennyradio.co.uk or email me at james at pennyradio.co.uk and I'll get back to you. And if you've got a spare couple of minutes, please remember to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to Penny Radio on. You'll be really helping me to help a wider audience to master their money. Now, you'd be happy to know that we're going to be leaving the technical stuff there for a bit. And next week, we're going to be taking a look at rappers and platforms. Now, don't get your hopes up. This isn't going to be a load of musicians wearing big old shoes. Something not quite as interesting as that, but still really important to our future financial health. So thanks for joining me for this episode of Penny Radio. You've been great, and I've been James. Until the next time, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in.
listening to Penny Radio. Join me next time where we'll be continuing the journey to help you master your money. Thank you.